Welcome to Scientific American's Science Talk, posted on April 28th, 2011. I'm Steve Mursky. This week on the podcast... So what went through your mind when you first spacewalked? Um, wow. I really hope I don't screw up. That's sort of the astronaut's prayer. Uh, <laughs> That's astronaut Stanley Love responding to Scientific American Astronomy editor George Musser. George is down in Florida for the launch of the penultimate space shuttle mission, STS-134. Stanley Love flew on STS-122, during which he performed two spacewalks and dropped in on the International Space Station. George and Stanley spoke on April 27th about being in space and the future of NASA and spaceflight. Thanks for taking the time out to, to chat. Sure, no problem. And thanks for being here. And thanks for your magazine, because we need more Americans to be scientific. We've got kind of a problem with that. We need all people to be scientific, but we're, we're doing <laughs> what we can. Let's start here. Good idea. So how did a mild-mannered planetary scientist become an astronaut? I sent in a job application. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, how does that work exactly? That's how it works. It's a government job. You apply for it just like any other job, although there's a big, long questionnaire on your health, uh-huh. and they're interested in whether you've flown any airplanes. Um, but other than that, you can anyone can download the packet off the Internet and fill out the papers and send it in. Cool. But what drove you to do it in particular? It's cool. Yeah, it you is. Know, I've been interested in space and exploration since I was a little kid. Um, I was in grade school during the Apollo program, and I uh-huh. had like a little Apollo lunchbox, you know, with the astronauts oh, cool. and rockets and stuff on it. So it's been in my blood since my earliest days, and I always thought it would be a cool thing to do. Um, and I'm lucky enough to have had the chance to do it. Definitely. Was there one teacher or one experience or one memory you have of um, that that drove you into it? Um, no, I always wanted to do it, but uh, I've had a couple of uh, very good teachers. Um, I had excellent science teachers in high school, which is unusual, and I'm very fortunate for that. Um, in college, I had the chance to learn to fly an airplane. Mm. My uh, flight instructor, Iris Critchell, who has also taught another astronaut how to fly planes, oh, cool. um, <clears throat> was, a, was a great influence on me. And then the astronaut that she taught, uh, Pinky Nelson, who flew in the early days of shuttle, um, while I was in college, he came back to our, our school. He had graduated 15 years ahead of me um, and did the usual show with the mission video and the guys playing with food and zero-G and stuff mm-hmm. like that and talked about being an astronaut. And he said, you know, everyone sitting in this room has the, has the drive and intelligence to be an astronaut if they want. And I'm sitting there in the back going, huh. <laughs> you know, it never, mm, I never I like thought of it as an actual job that you could get. It always was like in a book. Um, or on TV or something yeah. like that. Um, so I kind of kept that in my head. And uh, later on, uh, Dr. Nelson retired from the astronaut corps, went up to the University of Washington to be a professor, which oddly enough is where I was working as a graduate student. And so I went and knocked on his door and said, hey, how do I apply for this? And he gave me lots of pointers and uh, I sent in the papers. And after seven rounds of applications and three interviews, wow. they finally decided they were so sick of seeing my application <laughs> that they'd probably better just hire me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, we're at a really funny point right now in history. We're kind of at the end of this amazing era. Yes. And the beginning of a new one. Well, we hope. Uh, I, don't, I don't see a vehicle out there on the pad except for the old one. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> and mean, we've been trying to replace it for decades and haven't managed to do it yet. So I really hope that we get something new. Yeah. Do you feel wistful? Do you feel kind of apprehensive? Um, 
I am concerned that our country won't have the ability to launch its own astronauts for a period of time which has no definite end. Mm-hmm. Um, new vehicles are always late, and they're always over budget. Um, and so it worries me that we don't have a firm commitment to be flying by X date. You know, And there are hints of it, but it, it seems yeah. to be sliding to the right, just like everything else. Um, <clears throat> the shuttle, I have totally, very clear mixed feelings about. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's an amazing machine. Um, I think it was probably 50 years ahead of its time. Mm. Uh, it can do everything. It can lift huge payloads. It's got the robot arm. You can grab things. You can manipulate things. You can send people out the airlock and do spacewalks. It's got four different sizes of engines on it for different kinds of maneuvering. And uh, it's it's an incredible piece of machinery. You can carry two of our our new interim vehicle, the Soyuz. You can put two Soyuz spacecraft, the whole thing, the orbit module, oh, descent module, and service module in the payload bay of the shuttle. Wow. Okay? And and it's volume limited, not mass limited. If you ground them up, we could probably put three or four in there. <laughs> so it is it is an absolutely spectacular machine. However, it was when it was built, it was going to fly once a week. It was going to be dirt cheap. You look at the at the drawings they have of the shuttle being turned around from flight, and it's in this giant hangar with like a couple little mm-hmm. ladders around it for the guys servicing it. And you go over to the OPF and see what it really looks like when they turn around for flight. They get the work platforms in on it, and you cannot even tell that there is an orbiter there because wow. the support equipment is so huge and covers it all up. Um, and it takes an army of thousands of people many months to turn the thing around for flight, and that's not a jetliner. And what we thought we were getting was a jetliner. Um, when we started flying the shuttle, the uh, official but not calculated risk of uh, losing the crew and a mission was one in a hundred thousand. Preposterous, you know. And what we got was one in sixty. Um, so it has been much harder to support and much less safe than what we thought we were building. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is very hard to reconcile those two viewpoints. Here's this amazing, spectacular, capable machine, and here's this cash vacuum cleaner uh, <laughs> that you know breaks the back of our government <laughs> to support. Uh, so it's it's very tough. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that our country can do better, and I'm looking forward to us doing better. Do you think that the overly optimistic predictions about the shuttle were inherent in the enterprise of space exploration, no. or is it something specific to the No. Um, well, read the Cabe report, the mm-hmm. Columbia Accident Investigation yeah. Board. When they investigated the accident, they went to the causes of the accident all the way back to Congress and all the way back to the compromises that were made to get the shuttle funded. And it's an eye-opener. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyone who's going to do anything involved with spacecraft engineering, I would recommend to read every single word of that report. Um, And uh, there's a reason that this launch is called STS-134. STS stands for Space Transportation System. And that is shortened from National Space Transportation System, which is the (laughs) official name of the space shuttle. And that name is heavy with meaning although you may not realize it, it was going to be the national space transportation system. There will be no others. Uh So it had to do the work of every launch vehicle, and it was intended to replace every launch vehicle the United States was flying at the time, and there would be no Deltas and Atlases and Titans because it was all going to go on the space shuttle because the space shuttle was going to take all the launch business, and it was that economy of scale that was going to make it cheap enough to operate. 
Uh, well, it didn't turn out that way. And then we blew up the Challenger. And uh, the military especially said, well, we need to orbit payloads on deadlines, and we can't stand down for three years every time you have an accident. We need yep. uh, a deeper bullpen. Mm-hmm. And so we still have the Deltas and Atlases, although they, too, are struggling for enough business to make their to make themselves economical. So it is, it's very tough, and it goes back to the very fundamental compromises made at high levels of government to, to make the shuttle happen. So how do we avoid this as a, as a country repeating the same mistake, making the same untoward compromises? Well, first of all, we learn about <laughs> the history of well, the space shuttle. Definitely. Uh, get people to, you know, read and understand why it is the way it is. Mm-hmm. We should not diminish our accomplishments, but we should also not gloss over the things that were not great about it. Um, we should understand that space travel is expensive and going to be for the foreseeable future. It's dangerous and going to be for the foreseeable future. And anybody who tells you otherwise is uh, trying to sell you a bill of goods. Mm-hmm. Now, someday it'll be better. You know, Jet planes used to be these crazy high-performance things. Learn from history. Face mm-hmm. uh, financial realities, political realities, mm-hmm. and the realities of physics. Uh, but then realize that we've conquered things like that before. Uh, jet travel, early jets were terribly dangerous. Um, now, the most dangerous part of your air air trip is your drive to the airport. Yep, yep. Um, and there is no reason why we can't eventually do that with space. As the materials get better, as our engineering gets sounder, as our understanding of these crazy flight environments, very high, very thin air, very high heating, mm-hmm. um, very high speeds, as our understanding gets better, we should be able to do that. Uh, we're not there yet. Um, and what will get us there is demand for the service. So perhaps these new startup companies can start flying tourists. If they can turn a profit, then the whole uh, technology and the whole field is going to take off. And we won't imagine, won't be able to imagine flying in a scary, rickety old thing like the shuttle anymore. But for now, it's it's the best we got. Okay, I've got a question from that came from Twitter. Sure. So what went through your mind when you first spacewalked? Um, wow, I really hope I don't screw up. That's sort of the astronaut's prayer. (laughs) Uh, uh, What was actually going through my mind, when you leave the space station airlock, uh, the airlock sticks out from the side of the main uh, pressurized part of the space station, and the hatch is in the bottom. And so when you open the hatch, it is 220 miles straight down to the ground and you're going at 17,000 miles per hour. So there we were, um, you know, going over the Swiss Alps at 22,000 miles Mm -hmm. per hour. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go out that hatch. My buddy had had just gone out and was hooking up our safety tethers, and then I was going to go out next. And said, I really hope I'm still able to work (laughs) in this environment. Um, And as it turned out, it was okay. But it's there's a potential for vertigo there. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I was concerned that that might interfere with my ability to do my job. But as it turned out, it was fine. The uh, neutral buoyancy laboratory there at Johnson Space Center, which has a full-size mock-up of the space station in it. Um, you get you get used to being in that mm-hmm. spot, and so you come on out and oh yeah, I'm used to being here. I mean, there's not a cement pool floor six feet below me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead, there's there's oh Baja California. <laughs> um, but you get used to being in the environment, and it it is very good psychological preparation for for working out there and doing what you have to do. So the fact you were so highly trained and you had gone through these steps countless times before yeah, didn't, 
didn't take away from the experience of actually floating 220 miles. No, it was, it was still pretty awesome. The view okay. was amazing, and the the intensity of the work was pretty amazing. But uh, the familiarization in the, in the mock-ups and simulators uh, helps you to feel at home and comfortable in an environment that would otherwise like make your head explode. <laughs> it's just so freaky. I can imagine. What about just the first time you came out of the shuttle into the International Space Station? What what was what are the two? How, can you contrast the two? environments of the crew cabin versus um, that of the station? Well, the station is big. That's the main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the shuttle, you're never in a spot where you can't reach a wall. In the space station, if you're short and your crewmates are mean, they'll, they can put you in the middle of the module <laughs> and you can't reach anything. <laughs> you're kind of stuck. Um, so there is that volume to contend with. And I've heard of people um, getting disoriented when they first come onto the station. Um, but I had spent many, many hours in the space station simulator and so it looked familiar to me. It looked so, like a space so station. Oh yeah, here I know where I am. Mm-hmm. No problem. I know where I am. Uh, so it was it was fine. The extra volume I've heard of people being disconcerted by it, but uh, I didn't have any trouble, and I don't think anybody on my crew did either. So what do you think you'll do with your life now? What, what where where where's things where are things taking you? I don't or? know. I need to make a new plan, I guess. No, but I mean, <laughs> what, what do you what do you want to do? What? <laughs> Uh, well, I want to be an astronaut, well, so here I am. Well, you did so that. That's cool. Uh, no, I really have no idea. Um, I'm uh, not currently slated for a space station mission, mm-hmm. um, and the last two shuttle flights are you know, assigned. They know who's mm-hmm. on those. Um, but I'm working in the astronaut office's advanced vehicles division now, so I'll be following the development of, hopefully, replacements for the shuttle. Um, and it's my hope to be able to apply everything that I've learned since I've been here about the pros and cons of our current vehicles to make our new ones better. Um, so you learn from history and you're in a position to apply those lessons. Yes, I'm going to do my very best. What about for the space aficionados out there? How can we support the, this transition that the nation has to make? Uh, I don't know. Buy tickets on Virgin Galactic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, if I mortgage my house a couple times over. Yeah, that, the price needs to come down some too. Yeah. Um, write your congressman. Uh, there's there's still stuff to do at the in in government space. You know, we are developing a successor to the shuttle in case the commercial guys are not able to solve the technical problems, and uh, we're developing new heavy lift rocket that we're going to mm-hmm. need if we decide to go to the moon or asteroids or Mars. So anything you can do to advocate and then especially from a position like like yours or mine where we interact with the public um, share your enthusiasm with the public you know nothing fires people up than seeing you fired up about space it's a it's a wonderful and exciting thing I think exploring is the is the best thing that people do. If you look at things that humans put a lot of energy into and it's a lot of things like wars and money can't we be better? Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, exploration, it, it's hard, it's difficult, and it's not greedy. So I think it's the best thing we do as, as a species. And that's what makes me excited about it. That's what makes me happy to get out of bed and go to work in the morning, even if I'm not going to jump on a space shuttle that day. The next and next to the last shuttle mission is scheduled to launch on April 29th. Because George filed this interview, I postponed our promised discussion of the infamous Monty Hall problem. We'll put that up soon. In the meantime, get your science news at www.scientificamerican.com where you can check out my blog item, Death of the Birthers, about why psychology shows that the release of Obama's long-form birth certificate is not going to put to rest doubts about his legitimacy. For Science Talk, the podcast of Scientific American, 
I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us.